When Voltaire was dying, a priest came and said, you should renounce the devil, and he said, this is no time to be making enemies. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a religious uh, falsification that uh, people like myself scream for a priest at the end. David Hume very famously didn't, didn't and was witnessed by, by James Boswell not doing so. Uh, most of us go to our ends with dignity. If we don't, and if it is uh, the wish for fear or comfort, then both of these things are equally delusory, as religion is itself. You see, um, the power to influence is one of humanity's greatest gifts for which man cannot trade, even for his own breath. Being short-lived, intelligent, social animals, we owe it to ourselves to be truly grateful as well as equally fearful of the power of influence. In relation to my deep fascination for Christopher Hitchens, many would assert that his influence on me was one I should have dreaded, you know, or as a matter of fact, evaded, with an air of extreme caution. However, Professor Hitchens' influence is one I will forever be dearly grateful for, due to the simple fact that, with his voice, through his power of speech, he talked me into intellectual enlightenment, and uh, with the aid of uh, my own grit, once for all time, I started to live my own life. But let me take you a little bit back here. I met Hitchin shockingly very recently. Let me give you a little background story. Just early in 2019, just after the closure of the University of Zambia due to the global outbreak of COVID-19, a great sense of boredom and loneliness overwhelmed me. Our academic calendar was messed up. We were all living in fear. No one knew when we would likely go back to school. It felt like an indefinite closure was right before our very eyes. I, I couldn't even socialize with my Jehovah's Witness friends, much less do field service or door-to-door -door preaching because all congregations went on lockdown following President Lungu's uh, directive. I felt like a, a trapped indoor maid. No works, no visits, no Christian gatherings, no school. At that point, I didn't even want anything to do with academic studies or any school-related things. So I watched movies, listened to music, read a truckload of Christian publications, read a book a great friend of mine gave me by George Orwell called uh, 1984, a book for which I will always remember him. But all of those activities quickly became routine and boring, so I decided to take a leap of faith and believe it or not, it was all in effort to strengthen my religious convictions. So what kind of leap of faith did I take? You might be wondering well i decided to challenge myself i had read concretely from my christian-based publication that evolution was a repugnant concept and a lot of those publications were designed to even help young people like myself and those younger to be better able to refute claims that run on evolution evolutionary lines if ever brought up by a teacher in a classroom trust me i was a, a well-read jehovah's witness and i knew the argument as a matter of fact i still do Anyways, here's how I challenged myself. I simply picked up two big concepts. The first and obvious one was evolution, of course, and the other one was the concept of the Big Bang Theory. Then I read about these topics not from my Christian publications, but from experts trained and better suited to teach those concepts. With evolution, I read and watched long-hour lectures day in, day out by people like Richard Dawkins, Sean Carroll, Jerry Coyne, Aaron Ra, and Stephen Jay Good, among others. And then for the concept of the Big Bang, I read and watched talks, documentaries, and lectures by brilliant thinkers uh, like uh, Brian Cox, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Brian Greene, Lawrence Krauss, Carl Sagan, and many others. 
and just like that my life at home in lockdown changed from boring and lonely to a rich intellectual experience that opened my eyes to the brute truthfulness and factuality of evolutionary biology and big bang cosmology by now you must be asking however where is hitchens in all this well after having learned all that i was at a breaking point in my christian life and i knew beyond doubt that my religion was utterly wrong about those two concepts and i was either in, and was either intentionally or unintentionally lying to millions of people and i just could no longer be <clears throat> one of them the honesty i learned was now calling upon me to do exactly what i knew deep down i should do leave and leave is what i did i thought that if i could grant the fact that evolution by natural selection is true beyond argument then everything else religiously would come falling down i was filled with existential nihilism and a fear of what could be beyond the visible universe but then i met christopher hitchens and for the first time i began to build my existence right from the ground up <coughs> let me add some more context here convinced so convinced that the god debate was definitely beyond the truthfulness of natural science I started watching long hour YouTube God debates. I watched many of those debates practically every day until I came across one by an apologist named Frank Turek whom I had known for years and who happened to have been debating the mighty Hitchens. Instantly I fell in love with Hitchens' sophistry, irony, crude expressions, honesty and his voice and speech. Then in days and weeks that followed I watched nothing but Hitch. I watched all his debates, his talks, his lectures, and even documentaries on him. I, and then I switched to his books. I read God is Not Great and even got its audio version to listen to during my walking hours. And I also read halfway through Hitch 22. I was literally soaked in Hitchens' waters. And I too can say like Vanity Fair magazine editor, Mr. Graydon Carter, for which Hitchens was a great contributor that those who read Hitchens felt like they knew him because... I felt like I knew him personally. Then I came to learn that he actually died 10 years ago at a young age of 62, born in Portsmouth, 1949, and graduated from Oxford in 1970. He died from pneumonia, a complication of the esophageal cancer, and I knew instantly that humanity had just lost a man of ferocious intellect that ran through his brilliance on paper and speech. When he was diagnosed with cancer in June 2010, and learning of it while on a publicity tour that very year for his memoir, Hitch 22, he became vocal about his declining health and wrote about it in his Vanity Fair column, which is something that, you know, you wouldn't expect a normal person to do. And those essays he wrote have been beautifully compiled in a heartwarming short eight-chapter book with the power that can drown you in a pool of tears. And this book is forwarded by Graydon Carter. Hitchens Vanity Fair editor and the book is called Mortality. The book was published a year after Hitchens death in 2012 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah I read the book in the space in, in a space of four days and every page felt like lifting a brick wall. Every word was soaked with honesty. There wasn't any trace of hatred, self-pitying, cowardice or fear. It can be said that Hitchens watched himself die with a kind of boldness that was mounted on grit. Mr. Carter wrote of Hitchens in the forward. I have a quote down here. It, it reads, uh, For the fact that Christopher was one of life's singular characters, a wit, a charmer, a troublemaker, and a dear and devoted friend, 
He was a man of insatiable appetites for cigarettes, for scotch, for company, for great writing, and above all, for conversation. That he had an output to equal what he took in was the miracle in the man. You would be hard-pressed to find a writer who would match the outpouring of exquisitely crafted columns, essays, articles, and books he produced over the past four decades. He wrote often, constantly in fact, and right up to the end, the words in this moving volume being among his last, and Christopher wrote fast, frequently without the benefit of a second draft or even corrections. So that's, that's, that's a pretty moving quote. But here's the thing, death is no joke, and worse for folks like Hitchens and me, who have reconciled ourselves with the fact that uh, chances are that this life might just be all there is to live. Death within the parameters of such an understanding and honest approach is really nothing to muse about. For its prospect is a test of extinction, a place from which no flesh returns, and reading mortality felt like I was right inside Hitchens' skin, feeling the cancer growing and killing his power of speech with every passing minute. In, in that book, Hitchens brings his declining life experience in his last days and fits it into your own life. It's almost like you are there watching him slowly die, you know. Imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for Carol Bloom watching a mountain of a man gradually wasting away in his own flesh. So, take it from me, mortality is a book to read and return to, especially if you are one who is well informed about Christopher, as well as hold an appreciation for his works, because piece by piece, step by step, and word by word, he walks you through his battle with cancer right from the start and down to his death. And I think it's also important to note that uh, there was a reason why Christopher was called a contrarian, because he was right at the heart of bitter hatred and much too great love, and he went about this back and forth throughout the book. If there was something, if there's something of great importance that Hitchens will forever be remembered for, even by those that hated him is his brilliant art of speech, an art that his cancer destroyed, and about this Hitchens broke down heavily. He wrote, uh, here's a quote about his voice, deprivation of the ability to speak is more like an attack of impotence, or the amputation of a part of their personality. To a great degree, in public and in private, I was my voice. Such words stabbed straight to the heart, you know, when I was reading the book. And uh, I don't even know how to describe the feeling if I am not as brilliant a writer as Hitchens or all aware, but these words were moving. So, in closing, I think all I can say is that even in his death, Hitchens continues to shape and influence a huge part of my life. You can hear his influence in my voice, in my expressions, approach on life, in my poetry, and not to blow my own horn, but also in my writing. It's, uh, it's really odd, in fact, that I chose to do this as a devil's advocate uh, interview, but uh, let's leave that aside. Oh, you, no, wait, wait, I'm sorry, I have to now. Um, I was asked by... <laughs> oh, no. It's an anecdote. Not chapter it's, 10. It's, no, it's an anecdote. I was asked by... Oh, no, not chapter 10 again. Please, sir, not that. Um, in case you don't know and haven't got the damn book yet, and I'm not sure it's even... In, it's not in there yet, but um, I was asked by the Vatican to testify against the sainthood uh, nomination of Mother Teresa, against initially her beatification. And I said, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> I, was very, I was very honored to be asked. And yes, Your Holiness, the first time I've ever said that, uh, and the last as well. So I, I went to testify, and I made a discovery that I, I thought I'd share with you. 
Um, everyone used to think they knew one thing about the Catholic Church, whether they were Catholics or not, that in sainthood arguments they have a devil's advocate, advocatus diaboli. And it was true until very recently. The last pope scrapped this office. The office doesn't exist any longer. Uh, it was partly so he could fast track sainthood. He, he made more saints, the last pope did, than his 10 predecessors combined in double. So the Avocados Diaboli office was shut down, no longer is there. Um, so I had to testify just in a seminar room with a monsignor and a deacon and a priest and a tape recorder and a Bible. And I realized halfway through that I'd just become the first person in history to have represented the devil pro bono. <laughs> 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 <laughs>